Hello and welcome back to Site School. I am so excited for today's interview because I am joined by someone I have known for years. I actually don't know when or how we met anymore. I can't, I can't remember, maybe she remembers, but it's been years. And part of the reason it's been years is that my guest, Amanda Williams, has been around as a website owner for years. So I've been around eight years. She's been around 10, almost 11, I think she'll tell us. But anyway, she is an expert, an original blogger, an OB. Uh, and she's going to be here to drop some wisdom, both about her her website that she started all those years ago and about a newer website that she began. So, uh, Amanda, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. And uh, can you just introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit more about your websites. Sure. So, yeah, my name is Amanda Williams. I have uh, two websites in the, the travel blogging sphere. So my first one is called A Dangerous Business. And I started that one back in February of 2010. So it's actually over 11 years old at this point. Um, I know, it's crazy, right? I can't believe it. Sometimes I've been doing this for more than a decade now. But I started that site. uh, I was working full time as an editor at a newspaper and just really missed having somewhere to write. I just really needed a creative outlet. So I started that blog as a travel blog. And the only reason I picked travel was because I had traveled a bit in college and I had studied abroad in college and was like, okay, I probably have some stories I can share. Not knowing at the time that you could make money from blogging, not having any idea that this like could become a career path. I was pretty sure I was going to be in journalism for most of my life. So yeah, I just started it as a hobby and it kind of just, I don't know, snowballed from there. And now it is what I do as, as a full-time job. And then my second site is called Cleveland Traveler, and it's a travel blog just all about the city of Cleveland, Ohio. Go Cleveland. Um, And (laughs) I started that one at the beginning of 2019. So that one is newer. It's just about two and a half years old now. And I just started that one because um, I live in the Cleveland area and was wanting to write a bit more about local stuff, but it didn't really fit on my main travel blog, which is just like a general travel blog covering everything. So in order to just be able to write more about Cleveland I was like I'll just start a new site and that that I feel like is also when um like the whole idea of starting niche sites was kind of starting to gain some steam it really gained steam last year during the pandemic (laughs) but uh yeah I, I got in a little bit early on that and and that's been doing really well too so those are those are my two babies at the moment and uh yeah yeah, and, and for the record, uh, your Cleveland site and your Cleveland knowledge is part of what inspired me and my husband to move to Cleveland. So if you are vaguely interested in Cleveland, be warned. It's a great site. <laughs> it's full of resources. I used it last weekend to plan a little day trip for us. I'm, I'm on there all the time. I actually know. I know if I Google a, a Cleveland keyword, I'm going to find you, which is great. <laughs> um, but we're actually not talking about SEO today. We're going to be talking about some other stuff. So Let's uh, let's jump back just a little bit in time and say, you know, with a dangerous business, your kind of general travel blog, what strategies did you use to grow and monetize that site? And what do you do now? Yeah. So like I said, when I started, I did not know you could make money from travel blogs. I started it completely as a creative outlet. So I did not monetize it right away. And when I did start monetizing it, this was, you know, 10 years ago when monetizing websites worked a lot differently. Most people were selling sponsored posts and link placements and the sort of things that Google frowns upon a lot more now than they did 10 years ago. So that that was, the I think, the very first money I made from that site was like selling a sponsored post in 2011, maybe, where, you know, you sold them for like $100 and... <laughs> 
it was not great money. And um, it certainly wasn't like a sustainable business model by any means. But that's where I started. And then I started getting interested in affiliate marketing a couple years later when I learned a bit more about running a website and running a website as a business and really got serious about affiliates in probably 2015, 2016, somewhere around there. So affiliates became a big thing. Um, Advertising is my main revenue stream now. I didn't put ads on my site though until I think 2016. I was very much one of those bloggers who thought like, ooh, ads, gross, I don't want those on my site. And of course now I am absolutely kicking myself that it took me so long because now it's it's the, the main way that I make money on the free content that I provide to people. Yeah, that's kind of how it how it moved. And with Cleveland Traveler, obviously, since it's a newer site, um, all of those, the monetization strategies, so the affiliates, the ads, I do some like branded content, like working with with destinations and brands and stuff like that on on both sites, but it's a, a much smaller revenue stream. And I've tried other things in the past too. So on my main site, I, I used to do some blogging courses actually, but I remember when we first met, it was because you were working for Travel Blog Success. And I had two courses through Travel Blog Success, and you were kind of the the manager of those. And then I think we met for the first time in person at a Wits conference. That that sounds reasonable. Yeah. Now that you say yeah, because you were yep you were there with TBS. So yes. Yep. Yep. <laughs> now I've got it. It's all coming back. <laughs> So that was an income stream for a while was the courses as well. And I feel like since I've been around so long, I've dabbled in a lot of different things to kind of try and see what works as far as making money with a website. But for me personally, for my sites, it's ads and affiliates are my my top two. And that's that's what works for me. That's what I find is the easiest and it makes the most sense for my business. And not to say that it, that's right or wrong. I mean, everybody's business strategies are different, but that's what works for me. Yeah. And you do have slightly different strategies between the two sites. And the nice thing is when you start a second site. So for anyone who's listening, who already has one website, considering starting a second, you've learned, you've done all the education and learning the first site. So the second site can start a little bit ahead. It takes the learnings of your first site and you can start with SEO. You can start getting affiliates integrated right from day one. You can potentially find partners for either sponsored travel or sponsored whatever your niche is and add that all in right from day one on your second site or your third site, or in my case, like your 12th site, whatever site you're on. So let's go back. Um, if you're willing to share, can you tell us which bracket your traffic falls into for each site? And I'm going to read a couple out so you have some choices. Zero to 10,000 page views per month, 10,000 to 25,000, 25 to 50,000, 50 to 100,000, 100 to 250,000, 250 to 500,000, or 500K. Yeah, so um, a dangerous business falls into the 250 to 500K. I feel like right now it's probably about like 300,000 page views a month, give or take. Um, and then the, the my Cleveland site is usually in the 25 to 50. It's right around 50,000 page views a month right now. And yeah, and it is interesting having two. I mean, they're, they're both travel sites, but they are very different. Like Cleveland is, is very obviously very destination focused, but I, it also has more seasonal swings, I think, than, than my main site because a lot of the Cleveland stuff I write based on what's popular in different seasons. So like that traffic around Christmas time, because as you will, find out this Christmas, like Cleveland really loves the holidays. (laughs) So anything holiday related uh, does really well in December. So in December, my numbers go way up on that site. So yeah. Yeah. I found the same thing with my second site. Uh, It had a totally different set of behaviors, might have the same strategies, but the traffic just behaves very differently. 
Okay. Thank you for sharing. I appreciate that. We want to just uh, make sure that the audience knows that everyone listening, we are website owners. We're actual people running these websites and they get meaningful traffic. And that meaningful traffic makes meaningful money, which is not to say it's all about the money, but that's part of why we do it. It's what keeps us going. So we, we want to make sure we always share that. And uh, here on Site School, as you probably already know, we focus on five main for- parts of a formula to build a successful website. So as a reminder, those are SEO, email, affiliates, advertising, and products and services. I invited you on, Amanda, because I know you're great at two of these strategies for monetization, affiliates for your travel site and products on your local site. And I know that you do a little back and forth on them between the two sites. Like you mentioned, Cleveland Traveler does have affiliates. They both run advertising, but specifically, I know you're great at affiliates and I know you have some really cool products on your local travel site. And I wanted to talk about those because especially the types of products you have, which we'll get into, they're a little bit hard to come up with and they're hard to do well. And I know that you spent a lot of time and you thought about them and you built a really cool little shop. And I think that could be educational. So let's start with affiliates. You have been one of my inspirations on this. I actually, so for those who don't know, and you can find this in the show notes, Amanda does share monthly recaps on both of her websites on her dangerous business blog. So you can go on and actually see her traffic numbers, her income numbers. She explains a little bit more about how she calculates those. You share all that. So I'm always like not not low-key stalking. I'm just like paying close <laughs> attention because you're an inspiration. You, you're, you're ahead of me. And that's what I, I want to talk to people who can inspire me and inspire everyone else. So let's start out by having you share your top three affiliate programs or networks. And how did you choose them? Or did they choose themselves by just what worked? Yeah. So with affiliate marketing, it can be can be super daunting, especially if you're someone who's just starting out or if you're someone like me who started out with affiliates like multiple years into already owning a website. So I realized, yeah, it can be super confusing and overwhelming because there are so many choices. I run travel websites. So obviously it makes sense that I'm using mostly travel affiliates. But like within that, there's just there's so many options. So There are two like main types of affiliate programs, basically. So you have your direct programs where it's you're you're joining a program that is run by a company. So let's say like booking.com in travel has a direct affiliate program. And then there are the affiliate networks where they kind of aggregate a bunch of affiliate programs into one place. And obviously some people prefer one type over another. Some people absolutely hate the network. Some people prefer those. I personally, I like using the, the bigger networks just because they have a bunch of programs all in one place. And as far as like, find getting links and tracking your sales and all the reporting and stuff. It's just easier to be able to look at multiple things in one place for me. The networks are also sometimes make it easier to get paid. So a lot of affiliate programs have like a minimum payout. So you have to make, you know, 50 or $100 in order to get paid. And so on the networks, you know, you might, you can make like $20 from one affiliate and 50 from another and 10 from another and still reach that threshold and get paid. So I do prefer some of the networks. So my top two networks that I use are CJ, which it used to be called Commission Junction. Now it's just CJ and Share a Sale. So those are the two that I use the most. Um, they have a lot of travel programs. So like with CJ, I use things like TripAdvisor and City Pass, and um, they have a bunch of hotel ones on there. Columbia, like Columbia Sportswear, is on CJ for like travel gear and clothing and that sort of thing. And then um, I use Share a Sale for things like Viator and some like shoe brands that I'm an affiliate of. So those are my top two networks. And then for direct programs, I think in travel, it's usually stuff like booking.com or maybe a um, an insurance affiliate. 
And then, of course, Amazon. I feel like Amazon is is up there for most people. I don't use them as much as I used to because they've obviously slashed all their commission rates in recent years and also are just kind of a terrible company in general. <laughs> but but what is what is very tough about affiliate programs, and this moves into your next question about how you choose them, sometimes it's not necessarily about like what companies you think are great. <laughs> It has, it also has a lot to do with just what's going to work with your content and what's going to work for your audience. So I choose what I use based on, again, like what I think is going to fit naturally into my content. And you, you do have to start kind of with what you know. So if you're just starting out with affiliate marketing, I always tell people you need to, to think about promoting brands and companies that you already use and you already love and you're already talking about because that makes it a little bit more authentic. And in order to have a successful affiliate strategy, you have to build trust. There has to be trust between you and your audience. Even if that audience is only finding you through a Google search and they're not following you regularly, you have to be able to like show that you're an expert, but also that people can trust what you're recommending. So that that has to be built into your affiliate strategy. But then on top of that, you need to know just what sort of things are going to work. I do not believe in the spray and pray affiliate strategy, (laughs) where you just add as many links as you possibly can. I don't I don't think that that is a good way to go about affiliates. So I think it's helpful to start out thinking about the things that you're already talking about or you're already promoting naturally. So there, for us travel bloggers, like if there's a hotel site that you always use to book your hotels or if you have a, a favorite backpack that goes with you on every single trip, those are the t- sorts of things that it's really easy to start with with affiliates. And it's it's very easy to just go to Google and like whatever the brand is or whatever the, the site is, just do a quick Google search and see if they have an affiliate program. A lot of them are fairly easy to join. You don't, in most cases, you don't need a certain um, a, a traffic amount or, you know, your site doesn't have to be three years old or anything like that. It's kind of just a, there's usually an application process, but a lot of them are fairly easy to join. So it is something that you can get started with uh, fairly easily without a whole lot of barriers. Another thing that I always recommend people do once you have an audience built up. So this this isn't something that you want to do, you know, if you started your site yesterday, <laughs> But if you've been around for a little while, um, surveying your audience is always, always a really good idea, not not only to get ideas for what to do with your site, but also for affiliates. So a lot of people don't think about this when it comes to affiliate marketing, but it's honestly like one of the top things I tell people to do because there might be, let's say I'm booking a trip and I really like to use booking.com to book my hotels. So then I assume that everybody in my audience also likes to use booking.com to book their hotels. But that might not be the case. And and booking maybe isn't a great example because in the US, a lot of people do use booking.com. But if it was another like random booking site that maybe I love, but nobody else has heard of, it's going to be very difficult for anybody to trust that link if they've never heard of it before. So serving your readers, asking them the sorts of products they buy or businesses that they frequent, you know, like how often are they ordering things from Amazon? Are they... Um, Are they reading reviews on TripAdvisor for things before they, you know, go book a hotel or have an experience or go to a restaurant? For me, some some things that I ask are, you know, do they buy travel insurance when they travel? Although I think after COVID, most people probably are going to add on that extra insurance now. All the questions you can ask to, you know, figure out people's travel styles or purchasing habits, those can also help with your affiliate strategy. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I found that the way that I, I I kind of led into this in the question is that often your affiliate program chooses you. Yeah. So I agree, like start out with what you already know, love and use. And the way that I thought about it is look around at what you use for whatever your niche is for your website. So for me, if you look at a lot of my travel photos on my travel site, I'm wearing the same brands over and over because I love them so much. I buy them. Those sell the best hands down, because not only can I say, I recommend this with my words. I can say, and look, I'm wearing this jacket six times in this post in eight different situations. The, the same thing can apply for food bloggers. Look at look at what you're using to cook. Lifestyle, parenting bloggers, look at what you're using as a resource in your parenting journey. Those You don't have to kind of get too creative or try and guess. You can just look at what you know and love. That'll help build trust. And then the other way to survey, I found, was I actually use skim links. So if you've never heard of skim links, I, I'm always talking about it, but it basically makes every link on your site a, an affiliate link. And then you get this data back on what people are buying that you didn't even know was something they were interested in. So I found people were buying GoPros, which is not a small ticket item. They, they, every, it doesn't sell super often, but I would never have known that because I didn't even know to join the affiliate program because I had not thought that anyone would buy it. But when I turned on skim links, all of a sudden people were clicking and buying and I knew, oh, I should probably look at their affiliate program and get even better commissions from them. So speaking of commissions, what should website owners look for when they're considering an affiliate program and whether they should join? Yeah. Number one, you always are going to have to read program terms to find out all these things. Uh, that's really important with affiliate programs to, to know, you know, what you can and can't do with your links. And I just look at program terms. It's basically your contract with the company. So you wouldn't accept a job without reading a contract or hopefully you wouldn't at least. <laughs> so you don't want to start using an affiliate program until you know what all the terms are. So some things that you want to look for include um, how you actually make money. So there are different commission structures for different affiliates. So sometimes it's just based on you get a percentage of any sales that you drive. That's the most common way to make money. Um, but sometimes you can also make money just from clicks or sending leads to a business or a company. And so in that case, you know, the, the payout for a sale, like let's say a hotel booking or when you sell a GoPro, that's going to be a higher commission rate because it's based on sales. Whereas if you're being paid for clicks or leads, that might only be like 50 cents a click or a dollar or a fairly small amount. But if you can get a lot of them, that adds up over time. So that's important to know just how you're going to make your commissions. Then you obviously want to know what the commission rate is, what the percentage is. A lot of affiliates will actually be on multiple platforms or sometimes even like have a direct program, but then also have a program through ShareASale or CJ or Awin or one of these other platforms. And sometimes their terms and their commission rates are different. So it's worth it to do a little sleuthing and see if maybe one has, has better commission rate or a cookie length. So that's the, the third thing you want to look for. And, and cookies, I think we all probably know what those are. But just in case we don't, it's basically just like a little bit of um, information that gets put in your browser when you visit a site. And it, I don't want to say it tracks you, but it just like makes a note like you've visited this site. And, and then if it's tied to your affiliate account, sometimes that cookie length can be pretty long. So a lot of tour companies, for example, might have a 60 day or a 90 day cookie length. So for big ticket items, the longer the cookie length, the better, because a lot of people aren't going to just impulse buy something that costs hundreds or thousands of dollars, but they might come back a month or two later. And if you have that longer cookie, then you can still get commission for that sale. Whereas others only have like Amazon pretty much has like a 24 hour cookie. Booking.com has a session based cookie. So it's like people have to book when they're on the site. 
Uh, they can't click away or anything like that. So that's, again, very important. And again, sometimes different programs will have different cookie lengths and commission rate. And then lastly, you want to look at um, whether there are any restrictions on how you can use the links. Amazon is a famous one for... They have so many rules about what you can and can't do with their links. Like with Amazon, you're not supposed to put your your links in emails or PDFs or eBooks or anything like that. You're not supposed to shorten or cloak Amazon links. And there are, there are all sorts of other things that you can and can't do. So that's always important to know. Generally speaking, you're usually not supposed to purchase things through your own affiliate links, but there are some affiliates that allow you to do that. So again, worth reading all those terms to find out if that's something that you can do to make some extra money. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Um, And (laughs) coming back to Amazon really fast. I also love to use Amazon to get an idea of what my, my readers are buying. So even though you put specific links, you can actually earn the way Amazon is set up. You can earn from whatever the person purchases in that 24 hour window. So you might find that they are purchasing something you're not recommending, which you could be recommending. You can also look at that data and get an idea of the volume of what people are purchasing. And we're not going to touch on this, so I'll just throw it out there. If you determine that you're selling something a lot, whether you recommend it or not, and you're going through Amazon, try reaching out to the company directly because they may be willing to work with you to sell that product directly through you. And you can earn a lot more that way. Amazon gives us so, so little. And I know why I still use it. You still use it. Everyone uses it. But if you can find ways to get off Amazon, you can earn a lot more. And if that, if you're already doing all this this affiliate marketing work, you might as well at least try. Try having the other link there and see if you can get better commissions from it. So let's move on into how do you track your affiliates and your affiliate marketing? So it depends. (laughs) And I probably, I don't track as much as I could or maybe should. Um, I'm sure, Valerie, you... (laughs) track your affiliates way more than I do. But usually the the main thing you want to keep track of is where you're putting your links and what those links are. So uh, the easiest way to do that is to just use spreadsheets. But obviously, if you have like hundreds and hundreds of posts, that gets very unwieldy. I use a plugin called Pretty Links, which allows you to kind of shorten links and make them look a little bit nicer. But then that also helps you track like what links that you've added to different posts and how many people are clicking on them. A plugin like that, another one is called Thirsty Affiliates. It does the same exact thing as Pretty Links. They also just make it easy if you have a link that you're using a lot. Like let's say you're recommending one product a lot not an Amazon product because you can't put Amazon (laughs) links in these things, but another product that you're using a lot, you put it into pretty links and then you add it to, let's say like 70 different blog posts and then the link changes. You can just go into your plugin and update that link and not have to go through all of those 70 posts to change the link. So that's just really useful from like a time and organization standpoint. Um, I use another service called Affilimate, which is a, a paid tracking service that, gosh, they track so much. So you have to upload some of the reports yourself, but then it breaks down what you're making from every program. It tracks what blog posts the th- the clicks are coming from and the sales are coming from. I know, I don't know if you've, you've used this, Valerie, but you would love it because it, it gives you so much data. They even do heat maps. They can show you where people are clicking in specific posts, like which affiliate links they're clicking on. They even give you a uh, a broken link report for Amazon links. So if like a product is no longer available, it'll show up as like, hey, you should change this. So I use that just kind of as a, an overview of everything that I'm doing. And then I check reports for like my biggest programs, usually at least once a week, sometimes twice a week, just to 
just to see if there's anything weird going on. But um, yeah, that's super, oh, super helpful. <laughs> I, I am using a trusty old spreadsheet and it now feels quite rudimentary. So I think I know what my VA <laughs> is going to be helping me with in the next few weeks. But yeah, it is. It's not cheap. But for all the information you're getting, I feel like it's very, very much worth it. Because yeah, if you're really into the data, it gives you so much information. So that's, that's just helpful. Um, and, and I also do what you do with Amazon, like going through and just seeing what people are actually purchasing and, and what they might be buying that I didn't think of. That's definitely a great thing to do every now and then as well. And I also, um, I tie a lot of my affiliate stuff in with my SEO. So I, you know, I, I'm always paying attention to what posts on my site are performing the best and then going in to make sure that, you know, okay, is this optimized as much as it could be, not just for SEO, but also for affiliates? Like, are there, is there maybe a new tour that I can add or that sort of thing? And I find that a lot of affiliates, at least in travel, and I obviously can't speak to any other niches or industries right now, but um, in travel, a lot of affiliates are also starting to send out newsletters with like helpful, like here's our best-selling tours this month, or here's our best-selling products right now. And so those can be really helpful to subscribe to and just go through once a month or however often they send them out just to see if it sparks any ideas or like, oh, hey, I could add this to that one post that I have that didn't have an affiliate link before. Yeah, I, I started yeah. doing a series like that at the beginning of 2020 because Kayak, the major booking platform started sending this newsletter and they're like, here are the top 10 destinations next month. I was like, oh, great. I started writing that. And then, well, the pandemic happened and they just stopped sending the emails. And I was like, (laughs) well, I guess I see why, but it was really helpful for inspiring me to write more kind of timely content, which is a new strategy. Let's move on to products. So you, as far as I can tell, and please correct me if I'm wrong, you don't offer any products through a dangerous business. Correct. But you do offer them through Cleveland Traveler. Yes. So How did you come up with the idea to offer products on that site in the first place? Well, I got the idea because so since like destination based niche sites are very different from general travel blogs, and I had a feeling that affiliate marketing probably wasn't going to be as successful on the Cleveland site only because I write that site. I mean, yes, I'm writing it for people who are visiting Cleveland, but the people who are following it mostly are people who live here. So things like hotel affiliates and tour affiliates and that sort of thing aren't going to be like the top money earners on that site just because of who the audience is. Also, Cleveland's a fairly small city, so we don't even have a lot of that stuff. I mean, I I think I do have a post on, you know, hotels in Cleveland and it literally lists like every hotel in the city because... (laughs) There just aren't that many. (laughs) Yeah, there just aren't that many. And that's fine. But that just meant I knew that that probably wasn't going to be a a major income earner for me. So I started thinking about products also because it's kind of a running joke, but also very true that people in Ohio and especially people in Cleveland really like things that say Cleveland or Ohio. (laughs) I can't tell. Like I own an obscene amount of Cleveland t-shirts. Like I have so many And I think a lot of people here do. So I was like, Cleveland products make sense for this site because Clevelanders actually really love their city and love kind of showing off that they're from this city. And I just thought that that would be a good way to just try something different without a ton of time or monetary investment to just try it out. And then how did you decide which products to offer? Because I know you offer coffee mugs, posters, tote bags, stickers. How'd you choose those? 
Yeah, I mean, honestly, it was so I do my products uh, through it's all drop shipping. So it's like print on demand type of thing. So it was partially based on just what was available from the the shop that I am using Printful. So part of it was based on what they had available. And part of it was just based on like, okay, well, what would I buy or like during during lockdown in the pandemic, I was ordering things from local businesses just to like try and support people around here. And I was just like, okay, so what are some of the things that I've been purchasing? Like if you're just wanting to buy like a gift for someone or just something fun to have in the house, what sorts of things might you spend money on? So um, I knew I wanted to do, to do coffee mugs because those are easy and like every everybody uses mugs. No matter like if you drink coffee, tea, wine, whatever, <laughs> you're probably going to use coffee mugs. Um, I went with posters, um, again, because I really like wall art and that just seemed like an easy one. And then the tote bags were kind of just like a, an extra thing to try. I didn't end up doing t-shirts or anything because I feel like the market was pretty saturated with Cleveland t-shirts. <laughs> As your wardrobe can attest. Absolutely. So, so yeah, I just, it wasn't anything like scientific or I've never done any sort of product stuff before. So I didn't have any experience to draw on. It was just based on like what I thought people might be interested in. And, and the way that, um, that Printful works is again, it's print on demand. So I don't have to pay for any inventory. There's literally no upfront cost to me other than like the design. So it's just, it just seemed like I would just try it. Yeah, and I use Printful as well on uh, on my space site. We have some merchandise and we just use it through them. And it's really easy because you don't pay for anything until somebody buys and it, it works out very well to connect the dots. So as as we're going on, uh, just real quick, I want to mention all these different services Amanda's talking about. I'll make sure they're all linked in the show notes so that you can go learn more about them if you're curious. But going back to your design, uh, this design is so lovely. And I remember when I saw it and we talked about it the first time, I knew the artist. I didn't know it until you confirmed who it was. Yeah. But she is lovely. She's really talented and does so many cool projects. So just give her a little shout out because I know she's not really available to do work for people <laughs> like us anymore. Like, you know her, but I just want, I want to be able to link to her and she's just so great. Yeah, no. So her name is Candice Rose Rarden. Uh, I believe she's currently still living in Uruguay. <laughs> Um, but she she used to be in, in the travel blogging world. She was a travel blogger and did a bunch of like art type things at conferences years and years ago. And I actually hired her many moons ago to design a header and some social buttons for my main website. Um, so that's the first time that I worked with her. And when I came up with this idea to do some Cleveland merch, I immediately thought of Candace and was like, oh, I wonder if she could do this. And then I went on her site and saw that she'd done some other cityscape type things and reached out and she was like, yeah, that would be awesome. So so maybe she is available if you love if you love her work. We'll link to her so, <laughs> so everyone can see her portfolio. But I mean, she does. Anyway, I don't want to get too distracted. She does like calm stories. She's a fantastic writer, an incredible yes, artist. Yeah, she started Just a, that too. If she's not in your orbit, dear listener, put her in your orbit because you will be inspired. She will push you to be creative and inspired. Anyway, we can move on. But yeah, check out the show yes. notes if you want to see more of her work. Um, okay, coming back to products. What do you what tactics do you use to promote your products? I know you have a shop. Do you do anything else? Yeah, I've got a shop and it's mostly just like social media. I don't do as good of a job as I could with it only because like this is my second site and I don't want to say I don't spend time on it because I do, but it's not like my main focus most of the time. 
So uh, I do some social stuff. I ran some ads last year around the holidays. Obviously, that's like a major time when people are looking for gift ideas and that sort of thing. So yeah, but I don't I don't really do anything else with it yet. I only I only launched the shop about a year ago. It was like late August last year that I started it. Yeah. And if you okay, so if you were going to start focusing more, what would be your next promotional tactic that you would try? So you got social, you got some advertising. What would you do next? I don't, well, another thing that I did last year was I reached out to some local influencers and offered to send them products if they would, you know, give me a shout out on Instagram or uh, include me in a, in a gift roundup for the holidays. So I did that. I will probably do that again this year um, for anybody that I didn't kind of round up last year. But again, the, the Cleveland influencer scene isn't massive. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, I did my own little a bit of influencer marketing. I would probably I probably should just spend more on uh, more time and money on ads, just social ads, Facebook, probably Instagram. I don't know about Pinterest. I don't know if Pinterest is worth it for product ads, but maybe that's something I need to test. But yeah, my my to do list is just always so long that, that this is one of the last things because again, it I don't have to pay any I don't have to keep inventory I don't have to like pay for any of these things so it's kind of like if people find them and and buy stuff that's great but <laughs> yep that's my mentality too and I'm always like oh I wish I made more yeah. for my products and I'm like well if you spent more time marketing those products people exactly. would buy them exactly. I mean it's funny we're sitting here my computer is on a stack of my own book because I do have to keep inventory for that <laughs> and I just don't sell them often enough I always got like five or six lying around they're great for lifting up my computer to do these interviews. Yeah. Well, and I, I have also thought of because when I when I launched this last year, I did have some some brands reach out asking me about like wholesale, like the mugs and stuff like that. And that could be something to look into. But I would have to then like have an inventory stock if I wanted to try and, you know, get them in maybe some local shops or something like that, which is something I might consider down the road if I've got some extra money lying around and <laughs> And some extra space to hold like hundreds of ceramic mugs. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. And, and that's why I wanted to chat with you is that physical products, um, and I don't mean physical books. So we're going kind to of, kind of break, to, break it down in a second, but they're very different than other types of products a lot of website owners sell. So just wrapping it up, there's like, I, I think there's four main types. There's physical books, which I have that my computer's currently sitting on. There's eBooks, which a lot of people do right out of the gate. It's a great a great way to get started. And um, if you're curious about eBooks, check out the episode with Danielle Vazir. There's digital products, which could include anything from checklists to courses to, there's all kinds of digital things. And then there's physical products. And those are so much harder to come up with, to market, to, to store, everything. There's a totally different set of logistics, but it's also a huge opportunity because you own that product. So Unlike affiliates where you're you're selling the affiliate the affiliate product and you get a commission, when it's your product, you get all that commission for yourself. It's called profit. But let's talk about how did you how do you how do you brainstorm a product idea? Like what would you suggest? What would you do if you're gonna like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna offer some products, what would you advise people to to go through to come up with the ideas? It's really hard because I have this struggle with my main site, with a dangerous business all the time, because I feel like as website owners, as bloggers, we're always told by people obviously you need to diversify your income streams and products are always on the list, right? People are always saying you need your own product because like you just said, when you own the product, you get all the profits from it. And and I found it so difficult to brainstorm for that site because really you need to find something that there is some sort of demand for that that your followers or readers or just random people who find you on the internet are going to actually want to purchase. So there has to be something 
that you're going to offer value that like they can't find anywhere else, whether that's like a, an ebook or um, like Valerie, I know you do like itinerary planning for people. And that obviously is something very valuable that you're using your expertise to do. But when it comes to physical products, it is it's so tough because unless you create art on your own, it is sometimes really tough to be like, okay, well, what can I offer that nobody else is doing? But I also think sometimes we overthink it. So when I came up with this Cleveland shop idea, I was just like, oh, yeah, I mean, it doesn't really matter that other people are doing Cleveland products out there. It's like, if you come up with an original enough idea, I think you can just go for it. And like what I did with mine, I mean, this is like a, a skyline print I designed it so it's not the actual, it's like all my favorite buildings in Cleveland in, in one like illustration, basically. Um, so it's a little bit different than other stuff that's out there. And so I just like went with that. And I have other ideas of like other pr other printed products that I could potentially do in the future if I ever find the time and money to actually promote my shop <laughs> properly. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think you just... Sometimes I think you need to not overthink it and just if you feel like you have a good idea, try it. Um, and like we were saying, when you're using a service like Printful or what's the, the other one is Printify, I think, where they're drop shipping, all you need to do is come up with a design and then upload it to the site and make your, your product images and stuff like that. And you can just try selling stuff. You don't have to spend a ton of money to get a product off the ground. If you've got a, a good idea for something, you can always just try it. And I I run my shop through WooCommerce, but that's because I use WordPress on my site. But another, you can also um, link up any of those sites with like an Etsy shop. So if you're doing any kind of other handmade type crafts, that's that's also an option to, to do it through Etsy. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And, and honestly, if you had the formula, if there was a formula, everyone would be doing it, right? Like that's that's the thing. I don't expect, you know, I don't expect you or me to have the answer, but I, I just think it's interesting to talk about that ideation. You know, you mentioned a couple tactics earlier, which is like, look at what you use and love. Look at what you're already selling. You know, like I said, like, what are you already selling? Can you do anything like that? Um, and then just try and get something out the door. So if that's a mock-up, you can, you can pre-sell a mock-up and then figure out how to get it produced. Uh, you can survey your audience to get information from them. The, the one thing I don't necessarily advise is pick up a new craft and launch a product without any feedback, <laughs> like my candle making that I did during the pandemic, which I actually love and would love to figure out how to sell. Uh, but, you know, I recommend doing a little bit more market research in the process just so that you don't, if you do have to spend money and time to create your product, if you're not just doing a print on demand kind of service, that you ensure you're going to get the return. Now, I, I love candle making. Now, every time a candle in our house gets low, I'm like, I know how to take that extra wax and turn it into another candle. <laughs> but it's something that I, I, I would recommend in your brainstorming is, is brainstorm and do research um, just to, to ensure that your return is, is going to be worth it if you do launch something. Yeah. But if you don't launch, if you, if you launch it and it doesn't sell, that's okay. You know, if you don't have to spend any money. Right. But, but another thing with if you're going to, um, you know, do some putting some feelers out before you launch a product, it's also just like if you have an audience already, like let's say you have an Instagram audience or email subscribers or whatever, if you can get people hyped up for like what you're about to launch, I think that also works really, really well. No matter what it is, like what whatever kind of product it is, if you kind of can get the feedback that you think people would like it. And then you start giving them, you know, little little teasers, little hints or or uh, do do pre-sales and, and make it a big thing where it's like, oh, it's going to sell out. And <laughs> basically just hyping yourself up, which 
I know is sometimes hard for me to do. Um, I think especially female business owners often have trouble with that, hyping themselves up, but you should do it because you're awesome. And yes, people want your stuff. <laughs> you deserve to succeed yes, as a female entrepreneur. Absolutely. It's funny you say that. <laughs> I have two pink, giant, bright pink sticky notes right above my computer. One is this podcast and the other is my next product launch. And they're going to be launching at the same time. Uh, and it's exa that's exactly what I'm doing. So that's great advice. I am. I, I did a survey in my audience with my email subscribers. I told them it was going to be a limited first time run. So there's, yes. you know, I'm creating scarcity right out of the gate. Scarcity. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I am. I incentivize by saying I'll give one away if you give me your feedback. So one person who gives me their feedback on this idea will get a free product. And then as it's kind of a multi-product product, I don't want to say too much at this point. Uh, I plan to tease each of the pieces of the product. So if people aren't j j like jiving with one part of it, then I know maybe I just don't include that in this first one or in future versions of this product. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, there's absolutely ways to build hype so that when you do launch something, when you do make that investment, it is more likely to be successful, especially with these kind of like off the wall physical products that don't necessarily match with being a website owner who creates a digital written resources that, you know, that's the hard thing. You got to get people from the, like, I give you free content online to the, I want to buy the physical thing that you are selling as the writer of that free online content. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. So, so let's wrap it up. We've got one of your sites is monetized with a really strong affiliate strategy and another one with a nice product shop. And it's also got its own affiliates kind of baked in. Do you have any final nuggets of well-earned wisdom for website owners who want to get started with either or both of these monetization strategies on their own website? Well, when it comes to affiliate marketing, I feel like affiliates are really my my bread and butter. It's what I, it's what I talk with people a lot about. Yeah, some other tips I would say, first of all, there's no right time to get started. You just you just need to need to do it or if you feel like maybe your site, maybe you don't have enough readers yet to actually make money, it is still worth learning about affiliates and maybe starting to think about a strategy because again, like I mentioned before, I don't believe in the spray and pray. I think that when you when you're adding affiliate links to your site, it needs to be intentional. It needs to you need to add some sort of value to your reader. So whatever that value might be, whether it's you know you're giving them a personal recommendation or you're giving them a tip on how to save some time or save some money or just like narrowing down a decision for them, I think that you have to. There has to be some sort of intention with adding that link. It can't just be adding it for the sake of, oh, I added an affiliate link. No, it needs to actually add some value to your content. So I think if you keep that in mind, that issue of, you know, people be, being able to trust your recommendations is is much less of an issue because if you're just being very um, mindful that you don't, you're not, you don't want to waste people's time. You don't want to waste their clicks on things that, that don't make sense, don't fit with your content or your brand or yeah, are just a weird fit. <laughs> Yeah. And, and the reader can see right through it. Like, Absolutely. let's be real. Yeah. We know that they can. Um, and you burn, if you burn that bridge, it's really, really hard to get people back, especially in the world where most people bounce from our websites anyway. Like the golden thing is when they come to a, a landing page on our site or an article and they click anything else. So if that anything else that they click is an affiliate link and it's a, it's not a well-placed strategic, logical, useful link, they're not going to remember or they're going to remember you in a way you don't want to be remembered. So uh, great, great, great advice. Great advice to end on. So, okay. Thank you so much for joining me. I want to make sure that everyone knows where they can find you. And if you want to give a little plug for your affiliate course, 
I would love to have that because I think if people are interested, I know where they can get a ton more information. Yeah. Okay. So first of all, my websites, um, a dangerous business is just at dangerous-business.com. Remember I started it 11 years ago. Having good URLs was not a thing. (laughs) Um, And then on that account, I'm just at dangerous biz with a Z on all the social medias. Um, And then my other site is clevelandtraveler.com. So that one's pretty easy. And then, uh, yes, I do have an affiliate course that is uh, geared for travel bloggers. Like it's really all the examples are travel related, but it's just, it's like an affiliate 101, like how to actually build a strategy. So how to not just spray and pray with your affiliate links and how to kind of get started and and know what sort of programs to join and how you can actually turn that into like a long-term strategy. So yeah, I will definitely... We'll make sure to get you that link. It's in the show notes, people. With that, we will sign off. Thank you so much, Amanda, for joining me. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody. Till next time.